wish you could listen to that Liberty Church experience from the past weekend? Now you can. Liberty has full weekly Liberty experience online through our Liberty Church app and iTunes. So whether you're at home, your office, or on the road, you have access. To get the Liberty Church app, simply download the My Church app, and once downloaded, search Liberty Church in Omaha, Nebraska. Use the app during our weekly service or during the week to take notes, read the Bible, partner with us financially, see a calendar of events, and more. Need prayer? We have volunteers ready to pray for you. Simply fill out a prayer request form on the Liberty Church app or email us at prayer at libertyofomaha.com. Thank you so much. You can be seated. Amen. Well, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Well, for those of you that were wondering who that crazy guy was, interrupted the worship. That, that was me. Sorry about that. It was kind of hard not to, to just take advantage of the music we were singing <coughs> to, to prove a point. And we, we do a lot of things, you know, um, that we get used to doing because it's a part of the program, but I believe there's, there's potential power and ability and, and wonderful blessing and testimony in everything that's done, and uh, sometimes I think we need to stop for just a moment and think about the songs we sing and ask ourselves the question, how well is that song becoming a part of how I see things, you know, and how I'm experiencing things to be? Um, Maybe we ought to stop and ask ourselves the question, how many times that week have we said things to individuals like, man, God is so good. How many testimonies do we have to prove that he is good? Or is it just that we know he's good, but we really don't ever experience it? Can we have more lights in here? I can't see people's faces and eyes as well as I need to see them. Amen. Even more. Keep going. Keep going. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm old school. You know, I, I, I want full lights. I'm waiting. <laughs> I know we can get more on than that. I want lights up here. I want lights everywhere. Okay, now we can talk because we can see each other. <laughs> you know, this new generation doesn't like to talk to each other face to face. I know that. I mean, one of the, one of the greatest uh, tools that we ever used as far as punishment as our girls got a little bit older and then they got old enough, you know, where we felt like, okay, now we can let them have a phone and so on and so forth, um, was to make them go face-to-face -face with a friend that they had a problem with and actually ask them to forgive them. I mean, they squirmed like crazy. Oh, no, please, no, I'll do it on Twitter. No. I'll do it on Facebook. No. Okay, I'll text them. Well, no, like that's... All right. I'll call them. No, no, you're going to go face to face. And they would just squirm. You know, it's kind of like Adam and Eve being pushed out of the garden. Feet, you know, locked in the sand, and we're pushing them to go face to face. Because, you know, you, you don't do that much anymore. And, and we need to continue to learn how to do this. And, 
if anyone asks, well, why? Well, if you can't do this, how are you going to do this? Amen. So, praise the Lord, God really, really is, is endeavoring to raise the church back up to a place where there's a real enough and tangible enough relationship with him that people's default setting has been changed back to the way it used to be, where your first impulse was always to go to him. Let me clarify that. That doesn't mean your first impulse is to say, praise the Lord, hallelujah, glory to God, God, I'm praying, but nothing happens. I'm talking go to him because you know it works. Right. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. I just need to feel the atmosphere of this church here for a second. I'm, I'm looking at folks and feeling, you know, um, you know, I may not be your best friend by the time the service is over. But I'm going to say some things that I know that will help to separate what is and what isn't. And if you fall on the side of participating with things that are not, it, at least you'll know. Because then all it takes is a very simple choice to say, Lord, I'm going to make one step today. It's not a very big one. It's a very small one. But I'm going to become, become more absolute about how I choose. So that the things I choose and my experiences come from the spirit, not from the flesh. Amen. And that's exactly how an individual begins to move toward God, experience God step by step by step, until that's just the way that you do life. Amen? Amen. Well, there's a few things on the table downstairs. I'm so glad to be a part of what God's doing here at Victory. Look at the building we have, the comfortableness, the good feeling that's in here. Amen? And uh, I'm sure that you're inviting people. Praise the Lord. And if not, please be encouraged to invite folks. Amen. This isn't, you're not, not in a uh, school anymore. You're, you're in a place that's your own. And you ought to feel real happy about people coming and being a part of this fellowship. Well, downstairs, a book we haven't had for a while, but we got it back in print. It's called Living in the Miraculous Guaranteed. That's down there. These are some of the sermons God gave me and some of the thoughts he gave me when uh, I was at prayer and healing school back at the Kenneth Hagin Ministry back in 1994 to 2004 for 10 years. And when we started, um, things were not going well. And I, I, don't, I don't need to say this, but I'll just say they hadn't been going well for quite some time. There was quite a lot of teaching going on, and the teaching as far as the way that it was presented was amazing, but there were no results. People came and they left believing that something would change, but nothing had changed while they were there, and they were sent back to their hostile environment where they got their sickness to try to then all by themselves take what they had learned and apply it. Now, if you, you see what I'm saying here, you'll realize that probably the statistics of how many people were able to actually get it to work in a place where it never worked were probably very low. I'm glad Jesus didn't do that. Or he might not have made it to the cross. The reason why he went to the cross is because there was such an absoluteness in the way that he lived that was so different from everyone else. When Jesus cast out devils in Mark chapter 4 at the beginning there, it said that those that were around said, we've not seen this before. And the message Bible says, finally, somebody that does what they say which seems to indicate all the Pharisees and religious leaders and the, and the ones that had talked about what could happen or might happen, nothing ever did happen. 
When Jesus came on the scene, it actually worked. And that's what separated him from everyone else. Multitudes would come. The Bible said that as many as touched him were made perfectly whole from that moment. You don't see Jesus saying, now go your way and, and, and keep the switch of faith turned on. Huh? That's not to say, praise the Lord, someone can't go their way and obviously keep the switch on. We're never supposed to turn the switch Thank you. But some of these things are what God showed me, and then things turned around where we started seeing healings right in the room. And actually, a great percentage of healings took place. So we've got that back out there. Uh, another one of the uh, CDs we have, and there's a bunch of things there, uh, is uh, Hunger for God. And of course, you're going you're gonna to like anything we've got there. If you don't, money back guaranteed. You send it back to us, and we'll give your money back. Let's go in our Bibles this morning over to John chapter 14, and I've got to do something which may be fun before we actually get to this verse, and that is, how many in this room have been saved for at least one year? All right, let's see how far we can go with this. How about 10 years? All right, a few less hands. 20 years. Okay, that's a definite difference. 30 years. Some of you are still hanging in there. 40 years. 50 years. Wow, look at all those hands that went down. And guess whose hands are still up? Mine, yours, yours. Are there just three of us? Okay. I'll stop at 50. <laughs> I could go higher, actually. But for the sake of these two dear ladies, I don't want to go higher. We'll just assume I'm the worst, okay? Or I'm the, I, I, I'm, I'm the one that's got the most. The reason why is because actually the further you go in this illustration, the worst it actually gets. That's why I'm, I'm going to be the worst here. And here's my thought. If you had to be tied to somebody for an hour, would you get to know them? Yeah. Well, it depends on whether or not you want to do anything. Because if you want to go left and they want to go right, you're not going anywhere. It's like a three-legged race. Once your leg's tied to that other person, your leg is actually not your own. You've got to work together. You either have to go with your other one first and then pick it up, or you got to go with that one first, and you've got to run in a cadence where you're actually, because the moment you try to run faster, you're going to get out of stride, and you're going to what? You're going to fall on your face. Well, what, what, what if you were attached for a day? What if you were attached for a month? What if you were attached to each other? And this was our first question. How many have been saved? A year. How well would you get to know them? Well, this fellow, what's your name? Mitchell, Jim. Nice to meet you, Mitchell. I would know Mitchell's name after an hour. I'm not good with names, but if I was attached to him, Mitchell and I would actually know one another. And go a little further than that. If I was attached to him for a day, I would actually find out some things that Mitchell liked as far as food that he liked. And that would be important to me almost as much as it'd be important to him because I real, I'd have to realize that I'd have to honor him just as half as he'd have to honor me. 
So I would assume that if he was going to Subway, I'd probably see Subway again within the course of the next year. <laughs> and on and on and on you go. We'd get to know one another. All right, let's go a little further. What if we were, what if we were attached to each other for a year, for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years? Now you see where I'm going with this, and that's why I'm going to take the heat here, because I've been saved for plus 50 years. And then I'd have to ask myself the question, is this as far as I've gotten? Is this as much as I actually know? Are these all the testimonies that I have for being connected to somebody for 50 plus years? Now, do you see where I'm going with that? See, it doesn't end up well even though it's fun to kind of see that, man, God's, God's been with people in this room for collectively for years and years, hundreds of years. But how well do we actually know him? How many testimonies do we actually have? Well, I want to see things from God's perspective because this really needs to change very, very quickly. If Mitchell and I were connected to each other for just a day, we would have, I bet you we'd have a good 20 testimonies each of things that I would not have experienced had I not been attached to him that day. And he could say the same thing about me. So what does that say about how quickly we can begin to have testimonies with God if we see things correctly? In other words, you can go very far, you can go very fast, and you can have a lot of experience with God the moment you begin to see things like he sees things. Amen? And this is one of the, uh, I, I'd say, misconceptions in the religious mindset that someone could get saved and actually go by you, who've been saved for 20 years, within a course of a couple of days, they could have twice as many testimonies as you'd have, they could have more awareness of God, more answers to prayers in just a couple of days of being saved than you would if you'd been saved for 20 years. And the religious mind would say, well, how long have you been saved? Almost in a demeaning manner to say, I've been saved for 20 years. Well, you don't have anything to show for it. In fact, what you have to show for it is the actual opposite testimony. That you have more, te more experiences in the world than you do in Christ than someone who's actually brand new in Christ. Amen. Now, this is good to see. Even though it's hard to hear, it's good to see. And this is why we want to go to John 14. And you say, why is it good to hear? And why is it good to see? Because everything that helps you to recognize where you're at or potentially where you're at gives you the opportunity to make a choice that's so subtle and so small but so powerful to connect with God because the connection with Christ instantly brings you into the grace of God. And if that simple yet small connection with Christ to ask him into your heart, to become your Lord and Savior, connected with his grace to save you, and in that moment God did something so powerful that you're not the same person you used to be, how much more can it be an ongoing, everyday, multiple decision process and experience to never go back to the way you were? And this is actually how God sees salvation. Now, the religious mindset is all about settling, 
settling for way less than what God actually wants out of us. In fact, so many today are in places, buildings that represent uh, a congregation of people that are called believers, and their sole ambition was to get there because they really didn't want to get up, and they really didn't want to get there. But they were made to go, and so now that they're there, they feel like, well, at least I'm here. Well, you know, you're not getting a hand clap from God because you're there. A building does not represent the church. People that are connected to God represent the church. Whether you're meeting in a building or in a barn or a stall, <laughs> you say, how could you say something like that? Because Jesus had the greatest connection in the whole world, and he started out in a what? A manger, a stall. Some people would say it was dirty and it was dusty. God doesn't care about the dirt and the dust. God's all about the connection. What's real down in your soul? Where is he real in your soul? Because I'll tell you one thing right here, right now. You don't want him to just be real down in your soul here. You want him to be real down in your soul out there. I've told you before about that one lady in Connecticut that I, I was on my way to the door because after the service was over, they were fellowshipping so well that I was beyond hungry. You know, I had preached my heart out. You know, we had wonderful things happen at that service. Some wonderful miracles took place. And, and it was about 30, 40 minutes after the service, and I'm looking at the pastor going, come on, let's go. Because up there in, in New England, you know, they've got all those old diners, you know, up there where you can eat at any time of the night. And they're always usually pretty good. So I'm heading to the door just to kind of tell the pastor, let's go. And, and one of the ladies is meeting me as I'm going towards the door. I'm out in the foyer now. And like I would typically do, I try to ask people questions. Well, did you get anything tonight? Did that mean anything to you? How, how, did, how did you enjoy the service? I'm not asking them to say, oh, you were wonderful. I want to hear if something ignited in their heart, if they grabbed a hold of something. And, you know, typically people said, oh, it was a wonderful story. Well, what part was wonderful about it? And you say, you're so mean. No, I want them to be able to locate what made a connection with them. Otherwise, it just glazes over you, and you then have, have been to another service that you marked down on your calendar, but it didn't really change your life. So I said, well, did anything mean anything to you? Did you get something tonight? She said, I'm the one that got healed instantly from the tendonitis. I said, oh, well, that has to be wonderful. She said, it was. I said, well, why was it? And why isn't it? And she said, well, it all came back. She said, do you know why it came back? I said, I do. And at that moment, I said, I do know before I actually did know. <laughs> so I was interested in what was going to come out as much as she was. But because I always already committed to the idea that I knew what I was going to say and had no clue. So she said, well, why? And what came out of my mouth was, I said, the whole reason why the pain came back is because of this door. And on the inside, my head's going, you got to be kidding. Couldn't you come up with something better than a door? So I'm actually very excited about what I'm getting ready to hear myself say. And that doesn't always happen, but sometimes it happens like that. Things come out of you before you actually know. Your spirit's talking instead of just your head. And she said, the door, what does the door have to do with uh, my healing? I said, because the door represents your other life. And you've already made a perspective change. 
You're already living life like you do out there. That's why the pain came back, because that's where you get it. And she looked at me like this. Her eyes went up. She said, oh, my gosh. She said, that's, that's really, really good. I said, yeah, that other life out there is where you get pain, where you have problems, where you have struggles. I said, and then you come inside this building, and you think this is a place of safety where maybe, just maybe, for a few moments, you could be set free from the care, from the woe, from the difficulty, from the pain, from the disease. She said, wow. And then she said, when she said, wow, that second time, all of a sudden she goes, oh, my goodness. I said, what? She goes, it just disappeared again. I said, do I have to say anything? She says, no, you don't have to say a thing. She said, I got it, I got it. Which is what? How hard was it for her to make the little tiny adjustments to say, who I am in here is who I am out there. And I'm taking this, this consciousness of God that's in my soul in this building, I'm going to take it right there where I live. And that goes right back to what we're talking about. How real can he be to us? Look at how God thinks about our salvation. And this is in the Message Bible, John 14, verse 18. It says, I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming back. Thank God. In just a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you're going to see me. Now, let me stop there and just make a little bit of a, 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 a thought and a point here. When it says the world will no longer see me, I, I want you to, to if, if you will, when you're studying or when you're reading, whenever you come by a passage that talks about the world, stop for a moment and see how the world in the passage relates to God. And you'll always find out that in the scriptures, the world doesn't relate to him well at all. In this passage, it says the world doesn't see him. In other passages, it'll say the world doesn't know him. In other passages, it'll say the world has chaos. There are troubles. There are tribulations in the world. You say, well, why am I making this a point of reference? Because if you're living with troubles, if you're living with tribulation, if you've got crisis, if you don't really feel like you know him, if you don't really feel like you see him, you don't feel like you hear him, that means you must be on the scale tipped to the side of being in the world. Because if you were on the scale of the side being tipped, of being spiritually aware and conscious, you would hear him, you would know him, you would see him, the troubles would diminish, the crisis would no longer be a crisis. Amen. Isn't this why the Apostle Paul said in Galatians that the flesh fights against the spirit? What's he trying to say? The flesh and the world and the way we've learned to live, habits, routines, and patterns, will fight you to hold you conscious to the things of this world where all the trouble is, where all the difficulty is, where the pain is, where the sickness, the disease, the lack, the lack of peace. But your spirit connected with God, once discovered, enjoyed, and protected, will cause you to experience the power of healing, deliverance, safety, soundness, preservation, peace, prosperity. Wow. Could it be that simple? It is, but it's just not easy. You say, why? Because we've learned how to chuck wood into the train of the spirit of our flesh for so long that we forgot there's another train on the track called the train of your spirit. And every once in a while, we give it a little kindling. It just kind of just 
what does like that, but it does never move from the track. But the train of our flesh is screaming down, <laughs> screaming down the road. It's going 100 miles an hour, making great leaps and great bounds, yet in a sense with God going what? Nowhere. Amen. Come on, somebody. Uh, you're, you're, you're pricking me at every side. I feel like I'm dodging bullets. Yes. That's because we're so used to this worldly existence. Unless we're challenged to open up our heart and mind to the idea that there's another world, that at the same time we're touching this one, we have the potential to touch that one. And to the degree that the world of the Spirit is the world that we touch more often, and become more familiar to, that is when the miracles are literally prolific all day long, constantly, and you're experiencing God. The idea for a Christian connected to God is you no longer have to pray. Huh? Come on, parents, ask the question. How many questions do your kids have when they're little? Tons. Do you not train them so that you can minimize the amount of questions that they have? Do you not train them so that when they're 20 and 30 years old that they're actually functioning very well in the areas where you've trained them and they don't have to ask you because they've learned themselves how to function, how to make choices, how to make decisions. And every once in a while they'll come back to you and say, Dad, I got something I just need to run by you. And you're totally fine with that because you love them, but what you really love them the most is not making them dependent upon you. You want to make them independent so that they can actually function in life and really you encourage them to go beyond you to experience more than you've ever experienced in a better way than you experienced it. And God isn't like that. Of course he wants us to be completely dependent upon him, but not in the manner in which we have no idea what we're doing. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. If we can get past this today and you still like me, I'll be really thrilled about it. All right. Let's go on a little bit. It says, you're about to come alive. It says, but you're going to see me because I'm alive and you're about to come alive. What, what's uh, John talking about here, you're about to come alive? Or in other words, Jesus. That's the born again experience. When you're born again, you will come alive. Notice what he says. He says, at that moment... You will know absolutely that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Now, this is a message, but notice what it says. In the very moment that you are saved, that you accept Christ, you will know, or a better way to say it, you will experience with absoluteness that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. In other words, undeniably you will know that God has just stepped inside your shoes and is now living in your body. And you are something other than you used to be just a few minutes ago. Wow. Hallelujah. Now that's how God sees salvation. Such a profound change. Come on, I go back to my Baptist roots. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Come on, it was always about a change, even back then. Right, right. And it's still supposed to be about a change. 
But today, the politically correct culture will tell you that, oh, don't make anybody change. Because then you infringe upon their, their right to just be the same. Yeah, go to be the same and go to hell if that's the way you want to do it. It's all about a change. You can't get Jesus without a change. And if you got Jesus and there's no change, you didn't get the right Jesus. You can't say something like that today. Oh, my God, I'm going to say it until they lock me up, and even then I'll say it more. You can't get Jesus without a change. Amen. 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 Is everybody doing okay still? Go to John chapter 4 real quick, and then I'll try to hurry this up. Proverbs 25, 28, while you're turning, it says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a, a city broken down without walls. Well, a city broken down without walls means anybody can penetrate and anybody can steal, rob, destroy. A man who does not understand his spirit. It says right here, who has no rule over his spirit. Well, another verse that's very, very uh, similar Proverbs 16, 25 says, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his own spirit than he who takes the city. So you could have the whole world with a fence around it and have no life at all if you have no rule over your spirit because it's your spirit and knowledge of your spirit that connects to God's spirit. And that's what Jesus said over here in John chapter 4. You know this. We've touched on this before. And we'll just touch on it again. But Jesus at the well with the woman at the well, and they're talking there, the Samaritan woman. And Jesus, of course, asked her to give me a drink. She said, me being a Samaritan, why would you have any dealings with me? The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, yet you asked me for a drink. He said, if you knew who it was that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Oh, sir, sir, tell me, where is this living water that I may find it and then drink? And then, of course, it started this big conversation between the two of them. And it ended up here in the Message Bible in verse 24 saying, it's who you are and the way that you live that count before God. Now, the way that you live, don't mistake that for God's just sitting there judging you up upon your performance. He's not. He's talking about your perspective. It's who you are. And your perspective on life that causes you to choose the train of your flesh or the train of your spirit? To choose God or to choose the world? Choices come from a perspective. You've heard, heard me say this before. How you do life is how you'll do faith. And if your faith isn't working, it goes back to how you do life. What do you mean? The way you choose, the way you see things. What moves and motivates you in this life has everything to do with how you then appropriate your relationship with God. And you're going to see this more than you've seen it before in just a few moments. So let's look and see what he has to say here. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, or spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Well, we could just say very quickly, if you're not 
aware that you are a spirit, how would then your spirit on purpose be engaged with the spirit of God? See, this shouldn't be a hit-and-miss proposition. In my first three months at healing school, the majority of the people we ministered to died. Well, that wasn't very encouraging to me, seeing that this seemed like it was the beginning of my ministerial career. And everybody's dying. And here's my point. There were a few people that got healed, but we had no idea how they got it. So if you don't know how someone got it, you can't reproduce that. Flip a coin, whether you get it or whether you don't. Well, that's not great when somebody spent all they had to move to Tulsa for as long as it would take and as long as their money could hold them there so that they could get healed and they stayed as long as they could and they went home the same way. And I'm too much of a realist to look at that and somehow or another just like, 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 like not let it bother me. So it bothered me to the point of getting on my face and God then began to change things. Amen. And we had a connection with the Holy Ghost. And that then produced the results that we didn't see earlier. Come on, are you seeing some of the points that the Lord's trying to bring out here? Look quickly with me over at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and then we'll move on to where we need to be. Verse 16 and 17, it says, because of this decision, what decision? Because of the decision for God through Jesus Christ to come, to die on the cross, to shed his blood, to be raised the third day, to remove all of our sin, the very thing that could keep, would and could keep man out of the presence of God, Jesus removed the barrier called sin. Amen. Colossians 2.14 in the Lombok translation said, God took your account and removed all of your debt. He placed that debt upon Jesus, took your account, nailed it to the cross, and closed your account. Hallelujah. It just doesn't get any better than that, folks. I could take that one verse and live the rest of my life, realizing that my debt has been settled, my, my account of sin is gone. It was nailed to the cross when Jesus came out of the grave. He liberated and set me free when he liberated and set the whole world free. What does that give you? That gives you a right to take a step forward toward God, to run into his presence, to touch the very, the very hem of the garment of Jesus and live. Without that touch, what are we? We're just another form of religion that denies the power. But that touch of God is what separates us from all the other religions of the world. And without it, we're nothing. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. Wow, that's kind of, that's kind of interesting. Even in the body of Christ, we're guilty of this, aren't we? Somebody doesn't look like you think they should look. So right away, you know, they're this horrible person. Come on. We do this in the body of Christ all the time. Someone's hair is different from the way that you'd like it to be. Come on. You may not like my hair this morning. But guess what? My wife does, so. I mean, that's what's important to me. See, we need to get past what? seeing each other and seeing ourselves 
as a flesh person connected to the world. Because the moment you give your heart to Christ, he changes you inside so completely that you're no longer the person you used to be. Now you're a brand new person. Everything has become new. You're a spirit now connected with God, and you must see yourself this way. And when you begin to see yourself that way, you'll make choices that enhance and protect that connection. Oh, Jesus could have made a lot of choices, folks. He had many opportunities. Even when his own family said things like, come on, the, the festival's going on. Come on, it's all about you. Come on up to the festival. And, and Jesus said, no, it's your time. It's not mine. And then after his brothers left, it's, the Bible said, for he knew what was in man. In other words, what does it mean? He always protected his heart against living out of the flesh. He always made sure that the things he did were the things that his father was doing. The things that he said were the things he was hearing his father say. Why was he so intense about that connection? That's the only way he had 100% trust that the Holy Spirit would always back him up. You can't get the Holy Ghost to back up your doubt and unbelief. He'll only back up your choices that connect you to God. So then we have to ask ourselves the question, how important are the choices of the world and the flesh? And the real answer is, they're not important at all. That's the hardest part about it, you know? In modern day technology, things are very exciting and very entertaining, and it's very, you know, easy to get overwhelmed by the lights and the glitz and how fun and how comfortable we can be in this life and lose our connection with Christ. What are the real choices? Whether or not your spirit is connected to God. <sighs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's go down, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read something, and while you're turning there, I'm going to give you a couple of statements by John Lake, who lived in a different, different era, and oh, that we could go back to that era where man's word was his bond, where life wasn't so much about the pleasures of life as it was just enjoying another day. Come on, I think back to my upbringing. I was raised in the 60s. And I think back then, our families worked really hard. And it wasn't until I was 10, 11, 12 years old that we even took a, a vacation. And then it wasn't multiple vacations. We were glad to have one. But today it's multiple vacations. People working hard to be able to have multiple vacations, going places, you know, and spending lots of money. And Come on, before my generation, people didn't take vacations at all. It was just about having a roof over your head, having at least one pair of shoes. You'd be happy if you had church clothes to change into, which were just a little bit nicer than your work clothes. You say, why are you bringing that point up? Because when things are very simple like that, you can find God everywhere. When things get complicated and when you get distracted with the things of life, the scriptures tell us, It'll suck the very life of the word right out of you. It'll cause you to change God's so you're no longer listening to the Holy Ghost, but you're listening to everything else but the Holy Ghost. And it'll lead you on a path of destruction. And that's the normal life 
of 2018 is a path of destruction. And it's gotten into the church so badly now that we need radical change. Radical change. Amen. Thank you for those few amens. I know it was hard to say them, but praise the Lord. John Lake made this comment about Christianity. What is it? He said it is the indwelling presence of Almighty God within your spirit, soul, and body. God living, breathing in your life, filling your spirit, your mind, and your body until there is no longer a trace of the world, sin, sickness, failure, or concern. Christianity is the living triumph of Jesus possessing your heart and mind until you are a divine expression of Christ's victory. Wow, pretty powerful. The next one I love, another definition of Christianity. It is the conscious presence of the living, risen Son of God dwelling in your hearts by the Holy Ghost. Notice this conscious presence. In other words, you're so aware of Him. Do you know the number one reason why God wants your body healed? It's not because your body is so important. It's not. I'm telling you, the few moments that we have on this earth, 70, 80, 90 years, is nothing to eternity. Jesus tried to help us with that. He said, if your eye offends you, what? Get rid of it. What? Get rid of it. Why? It's much better to go into, into heaven, eternity, with one eye and be with God than it is to go to hell with two of them. What do you say about the hand? Come on, if he could lose a hand, an eye, then obviously the body's not that important. Do you know why Christ wants your body healed? The number one reason is because if he can get your body healed, then your body is out of the way where your spirit is no longer vexed by the pains and the difficulties that your body is having so that you can be spirit conscious instead of body ruled. Because think of it. He gets your body healed and you live another 10 years. Like that's going to change things in the realm of eternity. No, it's all about the spiritual connection. Every choice is all about the spiritual connection. And everything we do down here is about that connection. And anything else that you do that's other than that is a waste of time. And I know the majority of the things that we do, myself included, are a waste of time. God's not asking us to be perfect people. He would just like us to even make a turn of our direction, even to make a small little step. It's not about you being the greatest Christian in the world. It's about you making one little choice after another little choice and beginning to progress. If you're only going two miles an hour and you only get 10 feet, God's thrilled that you made it 10 feet because you were going forward, not backward. But if you go, glory to God, 100 miles an hour and go a trillion miles, how much more thrilling is it then? And you don't get more of a reward. You just get to experience more and you get to take more people with you because your experiences are more profound. Come on, this judgment seat we all think we're going to, we get to heaven, oh my God, it's amazing. And angel goes, no, you can't see it yet. You got to go to a judgment seat. We're going to judge you. No. It's a reward seat. It's a reward seat. You're going to get to heaven, and they're going to say, where are we going? We're going to a reward. Who's the reward, seat? Who's the reward ceremony about? It's about you. Wow, really? Yeah, it's about you. 
What am I going to be rewarded for? Your faith. In the smallest of things, your faith in God, the creator, will be put on display. Now, your film may only be a short little clip. But people will rejoice over those few moments just as much as they rejoice over the fact I'm working on a miniseries. And you can work on a miniseries too. The longer your clip is doesn't give you more accolades. The very fact that we actually believed in him when everything was against us, but we trusted in God. Now some are going to have weeks worth of what? They've learned how to trust him over and over and over again. And all of it will bring glory to God, but not any more than someone that just gets in that trusted in him to save their soul. What I'm telling you is, is God is not looking to judge you. He put judgment on Jesus so that he can bring you in, that he can perfect you, and he can bless the socks off your body. Amen. Hallelujah. It went on to say, not only this conscious presence living, the risen Son of God dwelling in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, but this is the part I want to say, which causes you and I to know that the power of God is equal to every emergency and is great enough for the deliverance of every soul from every oppression. Amen. What would it be like for God to be so real to you that no matter what happens, instantly your first thought goes to Him and the connection is so real that you get delivered by His grace instead of just going through the rigmarole of praying prayers that don't work. told you about this, and we'll only go try to not to go too much longer. You know, I, I bragged on my sister because she's a really wonderful lady. She's a few years older than me. And uh, Jan is already, she's, she's always had everything. I mean, the girl has both sides of her brain working. I have a little portion of mine working, you know what I mean? <laughs> she's got both sides, very active. I mean, on one side, she's literally got all her ducks in a row. Her ducks are in a row for months beyond when she needs them. I actually shoot ducks on purpose. <laughs> I've, known, I've been known to even shoot decoys. Because they were caught in a curtain and we were swimming. So surely that's got to be... And my dad's like, no, you're shooting my decoys. You know, and he runs down to see the decoy just and styrofoam everywhere. It's like, I thought it was. But Jan's always been so amazing. She's super talented, very artistic. Her art skills are amazing. Everything she's done has just really always been amazing. But, you know, the things of the spirit hasn't necessarily been her focus all her life. But now in her, 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 her older age, she's turned her affections toward Jesus. And my golly, she's bypassing me again. I mean, the one area where I thought I actually had, you know, some expertise where she should listen to me, you know what I mean? Now I'm asking her questions. And the other day I said, so Jan, how does it work with you? And I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm having to ask her this. Because she's having so many testimonies of God's grace. I mean, here she is on the ranch the other day. She's by herself. A big, you know, a good size, a good size uh, a tree fell on her fence line. And she's got to go get that off. So she's out there, and the only saw she had was one of those triangular ones, and I think they're only about this long, you know, and you grab the upper handle, and you're working, and she's got both hands going at it like this, and she said, it was just like I could hardly do any of it, and she said, I just said, Jesus, you're going to have to help me with this, and she said, the next thing she knows, she's like this, and she said, sawdust is flying, and within seconds, it went right to you, and she said, she stood back and said, holy smokes, that's awesome, Lord. 
And she's having testimony like this, one after another after another. So I said to her, Jan, how come it works with you? She said, well, it always works when he's my first thought. What if he was your only thought? Really good. My sister's still teaching me. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10, look at what it says. The disciples came up and asked Jesus, why do you tell stories? He replied, you've been given insight into God's kingdom, and you know how it works. Not everybody has this gift or this insight. It hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, notice, a ready heart. You all must have ready hearts for this because you came this morning. The insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge the people toward receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it, listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again. Your ears are open, but you don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. The people are blockheads. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look, so they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. And that's why I want to ask you some questions here. Isn't it interesting when you see Jesus? I've come to this place here to turn the whole thing into a very interesting perspective. Isn't it interesting that you see Jesus when he talks with people? He never really gave them scriptures. Interesting. What do you mean? Jesus only used scriptures really on two classes of beings. The devil was trying to tempt him, and he always turned scripture on the other side and perverted it. Jesus would use scripture to do it. This is the way that it is. The Pharisees, they're going down the road of doing what? Of literally taking scripture and making a mockery of it. And Jesus would take that same scripture, split, them, split hairs, right the crosshairs, and set them right straight. But to the people... Did he hit him with Isaiah one after another? Did he hit him with Ezekiel? Did he hit him with Jeremiah? Did he hit him with scripture? No, no. To the farmer, he talked about what? Seeds and harvest. To the fisherman, he talked about what? Fishing and nets. To the merchant, he talked about what? Money. Mary and Martha, what did he do? He talked all about the kitchen and the details of what we think is important Versus what? Sitting at his feet. Right? Even the devil, when he tempted Eve, he used what? An apple. When he tempted Jesus, what did he use? Bread. And you know the smell of bread can just about bring anybody to their knees. Come on, somebody. Jesus was doing just fine, connected to his dad, 40 days of enjoying a spiritual euphoria, and all of a sudden his nose went. And he looked around in that moment, all of a sudden he grabbed his tummy and said, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry, and immediately the devil was there. The moment the devil saw that Jesus was now fleshly minded is when he did what? When he attacked him. He's no good to attack him when he's spiritually connected. It's just when he's what? Of the flesh that he has a chance, an inroad to upset the apple cart. 
See, God's more interested in you getting it than he is in giving you such theology and doctrine that goes over your head that you can't apply. So you left today understanding the word recapitulation. So what? How does it work? Because if it doesn't work and you leave with a big word, you're in worse trouble than you would be if you didn't know the word. Because now you actually think that word is associated with religion, and it'll kill you. Still to this day, if I talked about the justification of our souls, the recapitulation of the blood of Jesus at the throne of Christ, where the identification started, and now it begins through the power of the Holy Ghost as he infuses himself in union with Christ. You think, my God, I'm ready to run. Somebody give me an organ. I'm feeling the anointing. No, you're just, you're just used to hearing religious things that you walk away with and can't use the moment you walk out the door. Jesus cared more about the people than he did his sermon. He wanted everybody to be connected to his dad. Every time somebody says, you did great, he said, that was my dad. Man, you're a miracle. It was my dad's miracle. He was connecting himself, what? And people to his father, not to himself. He wasn't building an empire. He was building a family. You mean he would connect people to something that was real to them? Uh-huh. Why? Because in the same way that a farmer understands the power of a seed and knows how a harvest takes place is the same feeling, the same thought, the same emotion that connects you to, to your healing, to your prosperity, to a prayer being answered. So you got, you got any reference to that? Yeah. How did God deal with Abraham? He told him what? You're going to have a son and you're going to have a lot of land. So Abraham goes to, goes to God in Genesis 15 and says, okay, let's take the son first. How do, how do I know that I'm going to have this son? And what did God say? He could have said, because I said so. <laughs> Come on, have you as a parent ever done that? Yeah, but how? Because I said so. <laughs> you know, we just exert our dominance and our authority. Guess what God did? He said, go look at the stars. If you can number them, so shall your descendants be, as numerous as the stars in the sky. In that moment, God was so tender. He was being a father. He was being a dad. Why did he tell him to go out and see the stars? Because he used to be a moon worshiper. Do you not know that Abraham knew a lot about the stars? He spent a lot of time at night doing what? Worshiping with his face upward. In other words, do you think... Abraham could pass that little exam, oh, like in a heartbeat. So Abraham went outside and goes, okay, I got it. He didn't even have to study him. Like he didn't just say one, two, three, four, five. He didn't even have to do it. Why? Because he'd already been there, already done that, spent time there. His soul and his consciousness toward the stars was so real that the moment he looked at it, immediately he used the same passion, the same feeling, and the same connection and had a miracle, and his body being old, and Sarah's womb being old, they had a child. And he goes back to God and says, okay, well, that was pretty good, but I mean, what about the land? And God says, go get a heifer, go get a female goat, go get a ram, go get a turtle dove, and go get a pigeon. Say what? Again, 
When Abraham left to get it, you could see him going zippity-doo-dah, zippity-ay. My, oh, my, what a wonderful day. Why was he so excited? Because he knew that those animals and birds were the exact ones that represented a blood covenant. He recognized that his question to God was going to be answered with God making a covenant in blood that could not be broken to make sure that he would have what God said. Because he not only went and got the animals, he literally started the process of the ceremony. He cut, it down, cut those animals down in half, separated them, getting ready for himself and God to walk between the blood and come back together face to face and give the terms of the covenant and mix their blood together. The only problem was God couldn't use Abraham because Abraham would for sure miss it. God put Abraham in a deep sleep, and God and Jesus walked through those pieces on behalf of Abraham. Come on, this is so symbolic of God and Christ on the cross. He couldn't use us on the cross. He was the only lamb slain you know, from the foundation of the world. He was the only spotless lamb. Do you not see that what God was doing was taking something that was so real to Abraham, using the same realness of this world, translated it into the realness of heaven, and the answer came? Moses says to God, okay, the people don't like me. I'm the reason why work was more difficult. Pharaoh doesn't like me. I grew up in his home, and then I left. Why would you choose me? What if I tell them we're having this conversation, but they don't believe me? And what does God say to that? What's in your... Uh, think about it. He could have said, well, when Einstein's law of relativity is memorized, then you'll know. Come on, God could make everything difficult. How come he's not making it difficult? Because he loves you. What did he say? What's in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, exactly. That now becomes the signet of my presence. Throw it down. Turned into a snake. Huh? Now pick it up. Now put your hand in your vest. Pull it out, and it's leprous. He said, stick it back in. He sticks it back in. Pull it out now, and it's perfect. He goes, use either one of these or both of them as signs to our conversation. Now, how long had Moses known his hand? Dumb question. How long had he known the staff? Another dumb question. But isn't the answer profound? He knew them so well that the same attachment and knowledge to the hand of the staff that he had, God used to connect him to the Spirit. And we could go on and on and on and on and on and on with the way God always connected people, and he'll, he doesn't have a problem using things that are simple. So let me ask you a question. So any guys in this room where you have, have real good uh, skill in the area of mechanics? Right here? Right back there? Anyone else? Right in the back? All right, you three that raised your hand were at least willing to raise your hand. I'm sure others have too. Can you take something apart and put it back together? Can you take an engine apart and put it back together? Okay, but I do have another question. Are there bolts and nuts left over? Yes, up here, no back there. How about you? Sometimes? Sometimes. <laughs> That's always a great question, amen. 
Okay, I have a whole can of bolts left over. This is not good. Where do they go? Okay, <laughs> even two or three, where do they go? Now, the next question. Do you find mechanical things like that to be something that you enjoy? So if you have a task to fix something mechanical, does it give you excitement or does it cause you perspiration, sweat, anxiety, stress? You, you just are a bear to live with for the three days that you're going to take this apart and put it back together. Or do you find enjoyment? Most of the time, enjoyment? Enjoyment? What about the feeling of the end result even before you start? Are you confident? That same sense of confidence, that same sense of enjoyment, that same even sense of, of uh, uh, challenge to experience what you know at the end will be a good result. Even though you may have to do some things different that you haven't done before, you still know you will accomplish your task. That same sense of, I can get to the finish line, and when I get there, I'm going to enjoy myself, is the exact same power, the exact same faith, the exact same heart that's used to connect to a prayer and see a body healed, to see a miracle take place, to see finances in your home, to see joy in your life, to see your kids come back to Christ, to see a relationship change, husband and wife. Any women in here that you bake really well? Right back there. Does everybody know that she bakes real well? Did you make me anything this morning? I would love to have just tested it out while we're working this little example. So I'm looking at you, and when you set out to bake something, does it bother you? Do you perspire and find yourself being stressed, and you can't be nice to the rest of the family? And everybody knows, leave mom alone. She's baking today. She's a grump. She's going to be difficult to be with. Just leave her alone. Is that how you end up being? No. Does it give you some sense of joy? Where's her husband? Can you vouch for the fact that she can bake real well? Yes. Does she enjoy it? You enjoy it more. Are you the type that actually can alter even a recipe and make it even better sometimes? Everybody said yes, and I wasn't asking you anything. I was directing that to her. That's very interesting, that you know that she can alter a recipe and make it really, really good. I love that because our whole family is, on my mom's side, they're all, you know, we're all artists and very creative, and that's totally my family. My grandmother could make something that didn't even have the ingredients to make, and it still ended up being like, this is really good today, and she would not tell you how she made it, because, you know, 
because she was able to improvise. And my wife, it, I had to marry the other side of the brain because mine only exists on one side in a very little place. And so, but my wife is so thorough with everything, Erin is. And she is a pampered chef magician. She has every little thing that measures every little thing. And so on purpose, if I'm working with her and it calls for a teaspoon of anything, I'll go to the drawer and get a teaspoon. And she'll say, what are you doing with that? I said, it calls for a teaspoon. I'm going to get a teaspoon. She said, oh, you, you can't use a spoon like that. You can't get an accurate measurement. She said, you have to use this. And she'll pull a pampered chef thing out that, and she'll hand it to me. And I said, oh, no, I don't need that. I, I just need, and I'll take the oil and I'll, on purpose, slop it over. <laughs> she said, oh, my God, you're going to ruin it. I said, no, I won't ruin it. I promise you, it'll be the best it's ever been. She said, how can you say that? I said, it's just in me. Feel it. And, it. and it just bothers the fire out of it. I love it. We're going to actually take a, a, a cooking class together sometime real soon, and she's going to hate me, but it's, it's going to be great, okay? Now, my point is, can you not take the same feelings about cooking something or baking something, the same joy that it gives you? Even though there is work involved, it's work that you know the end result Shall, shall be so good, and you'll have such feeling of accomplishment that you actually look forward to it at times. Can you not take those same feelings, those same emotions, those same thoughts, and put them into the same way that Jesus heals a heart, causes bones to no longer hurt, causes a pancreas to be perfect and there's no longer diabetes, causes feet pain to all of a sudden just disappear like I thought I had it for the last 40 years, but it's, 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 it's not there anymore? So then I ask each one of you, what are you good at? I asked one lady that, she was real skinny. I said, what are you good at? She said, I'm good at eating. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I used to be 200 pounds heavier than this. I said, well, then you know how to eat, don't you? She said, I sure do. At the same time, some people don't get it. I asked this one lady that was on a walker. I said, what are you good at? She said, I'm good at believing God. I thought, well, not too good. You're still on a walker. See, that was the wrong answer. Why? Because I wanted her to connect with something that she had actual success in. So that then the success of the walker, she could let go of it and just walk. What was that answer? It was a religious one. Can you smell it? I can smell it. It's a bad smell. People want to say the right answer, yet they're not connected to that answer. What are you connected to? Well, I, I'm a great shopper. Hey, you're connected to something. Do you enjoy it when you go? Yes. Do you get good deals? Always. When you come, take everything back? Because No, I never take anything back. I make good choices. The same way you make a good choice, the same way you can find the right deal, the same thrill you have of making it happen. Why can't that heal your body, make you well? So, well, one thing I know is, is I'm good at driving my car. Good! Do you ever feel like when you turn it over that it's not going to turn over? No, I always know it's going to turn over. And are you confident when you put it in gear you're going to know which way to go? Absolutely. Then use that. 
So this is a real different sermon today. Maybe it is, but maybe we've tried to get people at the highest level of faith always and haven't even gotten people down at this very low level where everybody can actually connect somewhere and actually have answers. Because the moment you start getting answers, all of a sudden your soul, like John Lake, all of a sudden realizes there is no crisis, there is no emergency that is beyond my ability to actually connect with God. One touch of God and things change forever. Now, while I was praying, the torso area. If you've got problems in the torso area, it's a lot of different things in there. There's a heart in there, you know, there's lungs in there. There's a pancreas, there's a gallbladder, you know, there's intestines in there. There's kidneys in there. Hey man, come on, there's a bladder in there. There's a lot of things in there, all right? But if anything in this torso area is having difficulty, God wants me to minister to you this morning. And when you come down here, I want you to come down here. You don't even have to tell me what it is. But you come down here connected to something that you have the feelings of success to, knowing that the moment I touch you and lay hands on you, God, by his grace and his Holy Spirit, will liberate you, and that power will set you free. Come on, somebody. Are you getting this this morning? Are you drinking the right Kool-Aid? Are you feeling the right feeling? I mean, I've done my best. Preach my heart out to you to help you to get so simple that so profoundly you could have something that's been waiting on you all your life. Anybody on this side of the room, that's you? You have one of those problems in that area? Come on down here. Anyone on this side of the room? Come on down here. Maybe we could have this removed here, brother. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Come on, he's good and his mercy endures forever. Now, those of you that have come down here to the front, I don't care if it's cancer. Come on, we make, we make the things that Jesus has defeated in our own mind become so big and so undefeatable when he's already defeated them. So whatever that thing is you're coming down here to have removed, for your body to be changed. Recognize it has no power. It is not what it's been made out to be. And for all spiritual practical purposes, it doesn't even exist. Only in this world, but not in heaven. Come on, we're connecting with God somewhere on this earth so that we can connect with him spiritually. Come on, everybody, why don't you lift your hands and just worship the Lord? Are you connected to that thing that you have those feelings and those emotions about? Are you connected to that thing that you know for sure that you can do? If you're not, I'll come back to you. Do you have that thing in your heart and mind that you know you do well? Huh? You know. And you can see it from start to finish, and you have excited feelings about it working, right? 
that same excitement. Take that now. Be healed in this body and loosed in Jesus' name. No more pain. I know you got it. In the name, I command that to come out. In the name of Jesus, I command your belly, everything about you, your torso to be healed from the top of your head to the soles of your feet even. In Jesus' name. Do you have that thing inside your heart you know that you connect with? Amen? What about the feelings of being a mom? Isn't it wonderful feelings? Amen? And every morning when you get up, there's as, as much work as there is. It's still a wonderful feeling, isn't it? Can you, can you raise up your hand and just thank God that that same feeling, that same emotion right now is delivering this boy in the name of Jesus Christ, making everything that's wrong right. That's what the power of Jesus Christ does. And the wonderful Holy Spirit changes this boy and brings such peace in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Thank you, Lord. Do you have that thing now that you make a connection with? Wow, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I release you from this bondage. And I command every bit of that which has come against you to no longer have a place. Leave this woman now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Amen. I know you're already there, aren't you? Amen. And then what other money? Fair to feed of all the wall still. Woo, glory. We can laugh at the storm because it's been stilled. Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for it. Are you there already? Amen. Let your heart be glad. Let your heart know for sure. The confidence is already in your soul in one area. Now take it in Jesus and be healed every bit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Are you there already? In the wonderful name, I command you to be healed. No longer bound. Everything changes in you that needs to change, and even more so than you thought. Beyond your wildest dreams. Amen. Could you come down here? This speaker and my microphone are not going to like each other. Come down here just a little bit. Are you there with me? Oh, I knew you were. Amen. Take this right now. and just That's it right there. Be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. And have the same satisfaction in your soul today that Jesus just healed you, set you free. Your body changes right as we speak. Are you there, sis? Amen. So be, oh, glory, in the name of Jesus, be healed and be whole from the top of your head to the soles of your feet. That's it right there. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, everybody, lift your hands for just a moment. Father, we pray over these people. We thank you for them. And we pray your blessing upon them, Lord God. And I thank you that what you bless, no one can curse. Thank you, Lord, what you've blessed cannot be cursed. So I thank you for healings all over this room. Miracle signs and wonders, Lord, are the way that we do life. And Lord, let a connection be so simple as the simple things of life. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. 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 Hallelujah. Well, before we go, and we beat the Baptist, it's 1147. Yes, ma'am. Where is he? Put your hands like this, together like a prayer. You're going to have to tell him I prayed for him. And you're going to have to tell him, get his, get his rear end off the, off the couch. Can you do that? Oh, good. Thank you. Amen. In the wonderful name of the Lord, I command all that pressure to be normalized. and to be, That's it right there, to be perfect. And Jesus touches him right now through your faith and through your love. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for it. Hallelujah. Come on, did anybody get anything this morning?
Did it make sense to you? I hope you got one thing that God wants so badly to be a part of your life, to work in your life in the physical area, to change things on your job, change things in your home, in your bank account, in your body, in your mind. He just needs a very simple little inroad, and that is your heart to be open and your mind to be open to the bigness of God. Greater is he that's in you than he or anything that's in the world. We can quote that, but this morning I gave you, and I trust you got it, a means of being able to connect with that. Come on, I want you to share your testimonies to Pastor when he comes back next week. Give him one testimony after another in this room. Come on, make, make him have to have a testimony service without him even knowing it. Pastor, I, I, I got a testimony. So it was, I, I got a testimony. Until he has to feed, feel, uh, feed or, or field 20 or 30 testimonies in here. And it takes up a whole hour and you just have to say, well, my God, we just need to go ahead and rejoice because he is the Lord of abundance. He is the God that heals. He is the God that makes everything wrong right. And we've got so many testimonies this morning that we're just going to have to shout the victory and leave. Leave happy. Bring your testimony next week. And I'll rejoice even though I'll be in another state. I'll rejoice with you. Thank you so much. Thanks again for joining us online for this special presentation. We always want to encourage those of you who have a story to tell of how God is working in our life through this ministry to send us an email. Send it to amen at libertyofomaha.com. Let us know how God is working in your life. And if you want to partner with us financially, you can always go to libertyofomaha.com or our Liberty Church app and click the giving option to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us and have an incredible week.